Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Content Show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of thought leadership content in just 60 minutes. So now the basic idea of content marketing is to publish stuff that's not all about your products and services, but instead about your audience and their problems and their pain points. But at the same time, content does need to point to or or maybe just gesture towards your brand and your solution. And that can be kind of tricky, right? Because how do you create content that's not so product and brand focused that it comes across as, you know, maybe overtly salesy? But at the same time, it does make a clear connection between the educational content you're putting out there and your brand. So to help us unpack this challenge, my guest today is Dale Harrison. Dale is founder of Inforta Life Science Services, which is a life sciences marketing agency. Dale, welcome to the show. Welcome. It's really great to have you. So let's get right into this. When we prepped for this episode, you told me that in your view, there are two, really two types of content, sales enablement content and category awareness content. And that category awareness content only really works if it's a Trojan horse for brand awareness. So what do you mean by that? Well, so it's probably good to go back to why content marketing is as as powerful as it is. And the value of content marketing is that it's basically in the nature of it, of it being a long form, being long form messaging that you can pack an enormous amount of information into a single piece in a way that traditional marketing approaches tended to not be able to. So, you know, if you look back over the last 200 years of marketing, a lot of it relied on sort of traditional brand marketing, the 30 second TV spot, the 15 second radio spot, you know, where you barely got enough time to be able to, to make some connection between your product, your branding elements, and, you know, and your category, you know, Colgate toothpaste, you know, brighter smiles, <laughs> you know, that's about it. Time's up. And so the, you know, what's great with content is that, that you can capture, you know, five, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour of someone's attention and be able to communicate a lot of information. And so it really changes the nature of marketing. And, but the problem the problem is is in less about the content and more about the receiver and their their attentional bandwidth um, because different people at different points of their of their buying cycle are going to have radically different levels of attention span and and this becomes the real the real challenge is that that yes people are willing to you know to devote you know, up to many, many hours on a single piece of content. We see this with binge watching on Netflix, but, but they're also increasingly unwilling to spend time, you know, even five seconds on stuff that they're not interested in. And, you know, so the challenge here is really, how do you get something in front of someone that they're willing to make that investment in? And, you know, and so if you divide your market into two categories, there is the three to 5% of the market who are in market right now, who have a current need and, you know, are in, in some level of consideration around buying versus the 95 plus percent that represents future potential buyers, but they don't have a current need. And so there is radically different levels of attention that you're going to be able to extract from these two categories, even though they all 
potentially will be interested in your product at some time. So, you know, the, the argument that I make about content marketing falling into two categories, either category awareness marketing or sales enablement. Sales enablement is that deep dive, that product demo, that, that how those, those, you know, 30 minute how to videos about how to use the product that, that someone who is engaged in a buying process is willing to make that investment because, because they've got an immediate need. But if they're not in that buying process, they're not going to be willing to spend nearly the amount of time listening to the details of your product. They don't care. They're not going to remember. It's not, you know, because they don't have an urgent current need, the information is entirely decontextualized. So you're not going to be able to take, you know, a 30 minute demo of your product and have someone who, you know, is not likely to buy for another two years, sit there and watch that. It's very unlikely. But the thing that is constant across your entire market is that your market is defined by people that have a certain category of problem, you know, for which you're offering a solution. So the need for a solution is, is brief and temporary as they come in and out of the buying cycle. But the need for, to, to understand about this problem is universal. And so, you know, the challenge is how do you, how do you shift from talking about the details of your product, which is essentially sales enablement material, to something that can bring the product in, but that relates to the customer and that ties into the customer's concerns about a category of problem. And, you know, so, and, and so this goes back to this idea that, that the bulk of your content marketing should really be category awareness. So you're, you're telling people about the category, you're talking about the problems, because again, they're going to relate to to the problems within the category because these are problems that they're dealing with. Even if they already have a solution, you've got the ability to, to still capture their attention because there's, you know, for instance, if you're a CRM uh, provider, even if someone has a CRM already and they're not looking to buy a new one, you know, that CRM is there because it's solving certain problems. And so if you talk about the problems that that CRM is solving, you're going to be able to capture their attention. And so you see this in podcasts and video, you know, in YouTubes, this sort of thing. The challenge, though, is is really how do you go from the category back to the product? Because if you simply talk about the category without ever referencing the product, you've wasted your money. I mean, you've wasted your marketing budget because, you know, the whole point of this exercise is that at some point in the future, when they come in market uh, and they're looking for a solution, you need your brand your product to be top of mind so that you're in that initial consideration set. And which means that every single piece of that, of, of category awareness content really has to, to in some way tie back to something that's unique about your product. And, and so this is this idea that, that, you know, the long form content that is category awareness has to function as a Trojan horse to bring in information about your about your brand and what makes your brand unique. Right. So, and I think maybe where a lot of content marketers struggle or just a tricky thing, you know, as I mentioned up top is that line between, and maybe it's a fine line, maybe it's not, you know, you can tell me between making a, a piece of content educational and salesy, you know, kind of the like, 
what what we're talking about is to kind of mix those two things, right? It's category category awareness, it's educational, and at the same time, in just the right way, in a subtle way, it does point back to your solution. But how do you do that, right? Like how how do you do that without kind of undermining the the educational aspect of it, and 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 without making people people say, ah, oh, this is just a bunch of marketing bullshit, you know? Right, right. Uh, so one of the powerful ways of doing this is, is, you know, unless you're an absolute commoditized product, unless, you know, what you're selling is a bushel of corn <laughs> that is absolutely identical to every other bushel of corn in existence. If there is any differentiation in your product, that, differ- that differentiation implies a unique worldview. So, and, and I'll give you a specific example from, from a, a project that I worked on a few years ago. There were, there were four companies in the market. They were all entering at roughly the same time, had a very unique product. It was, it was for doing infectious disease testing for transplant patients. And the idea was you draw a sample of blood, you basically uh, do whole genome sequence, you, sequencing, you sequence everything in the sample, you subtract away all the data that's human and what's left are pathogens, you know, things that aren't supposed to be there. And so you're able to get a universal look at any possible viral infection within the sample and allows the, the physician to do a very rapid turnaround in terms of getting treatment to the transplant patient. And, you know, this, this is a very life-saving measure. Each of the four companies had essentially identical end results. They were all using the same sequencers. They were all using the same genetic reference databases. So there was no difference in the results. In that sense, it was quite commoditized. But there were really fundamental differences in how they viewed the best way to deliver the service. Mm-hmm. You know, so some people, you know, <clears throat> some companies basically would sell you a multi-million dollar package of instrumentation and complex software that you would install and run with your staff. You know, another company would have you send the samples in to a central lab that they ran. Other companies, you know, it was another company where they would let you do the sequencing on your machine and you simply sent them the data and then they would do all of the, the bioinformatics work. So there were very, very different ways of how to solve this problem. That And each product was fundamentally structured around a different worldview. And so, so and these, these worldviews had definite pros and cons. And so, and, and, you know, the same thing is true if you're looking at, you know, CRM software, you're looking at ad tech software, you're looking at accounting software. You know, this is, these are, this is broadly true across products and categories. And so, you know, what we did there was we focused the content around the core problem, but then making arguments, general arguments around, you know, this is why the absolute best way to solve this problem is this. And, and so what we're doing is we're pre-positioning, you know, future buyers' minds so that when they come to look at the options, they're already predisposed to thinking favorably about one worldview versus another worldview. They're already armed with all of the reasons why, you know, the way that other company did it has these problems, you know. And so, so you're, you're not only strengthening your own positioning you are effectively undermining the positioning of all of your competitors by doing this without ever even once mentioning the product. So, so, I mean, this is one approach, 
you know, the other approach is, is to talk about a problem and then talk about a specific example of how your platform or your SaaS or your product solve that problem so that you're using yourself as a, as essentially a mini case study within mm-hmm. the piece. But it then gives people a sense of a tangible sense of what it's like to solve this problem with what you've got. And, uh, you know, so this is another way that you can be, you can very directly bring it in, but how, however you do it, you ultimately need to be able to connect, you know, the overall category, the core problems with key branding elements and some key point of differentiation, you know, which means that you need to have your, your, your logo, your tagline, some lines, you know, that, that, that talks about, you know, what your point of differentiation is, you know, we're CRMs for left-handed plumbers and it needs to be somewhere, you know, physically visual in a prominent way on the content. And, you know, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build memory traces in the minds of future buyers so that when that, that category need turns into, you know, an actual need, and that, and they're now trying to translate what they know about the category into decisions around products that they can now make that connection with you and with your, your, your the core of your brand, brand identity. Do you think that B2B marketers in some general way are maybe, you know, a little too shy about doing what you've just said, you know, making a specific callback to your brand with your logo and your, you know, your uh, tagline and that sort of thing on the because they're wary of coming across as too salesly. I mean, is the prescription here, marketers need to be a little bolder and not, not so wary of putting their products and services kind of not, not totally front and center, but a little more front and center than they typically are. Well, but I mean, I think this is a, this represents a broader version, a version of a broader problem, which is marketers have a tendency to be obsessively self-focused. They're worried far more about their feelings and their interest and their concerns than they are about the person that they're speaking to. And, and the challenge, you know, so yeah, I think a lot of marketers are reluctant to do that, you know, because, you know, they personally feel a little, you know, squidgy about it. Get over your feelings. <laughs> you know, you, what you've got to do is you've got to put yourself in the mind of, of that sort of marginally interested future buyer, you know, who has this problem, probably already has a solution. What are they going to be interested in? You know, and, and that, that's the real challenge is what, if, if you can really put yourself inside the mind of the person on the other side of the page, you know, then you've got the ability to, to, you know, have a deep intuitive understanding of what's the right information, what's the right approach you know, and, and what is going to look salesy because yeah, you can, you know, you, you can go way too salesy on it, but you know, that's usually not the problem people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a second issue in here too, where, and this is more on the creative side. I think that there are, um, there are marketers, the marketers who are doing the creative are, uh, become overly impressed with their own work and overly obsessed with doing, you know, with, you know, doing their art. And the deal is this isn't art, this is commerce. And, you know, and, and I'll give you a specific example. So I saw an absolutely completely over the top, brilliant piece of 
uh, video. It was a, it was a, a 30, I think it was a 30 second video. And it was for a trucking company, a logistics company. And what they had done was they had done these, these sort of very short cuts of activities within, you know, with the trucks and the warehouse and the loading the trucks and the trucks taking off. But what they had done is they'd taken a sound associated with each of these activities and they had, they had, had combined them to, in a sequence to form this sort of almost like a song, but with these industrial sounds. It was absolutely a brilliant piece of creative work. The problem was that there was absolutely no reference to the company, the service, the product, the category, or anything else until around 27 to 28 seconds into a 30-second video. So only in the last two and a half seconds or so did they then put the logo and the tagline on the screen. And, and the deal is, if they had had that tagline and that logo on the screen from frame zero onward, you know, it would have in no way reduced the, the, you know, the creativity, the impact, the cleverness of what they were doing. But what it would have done is that it would have made this connection in people's minds between things having to do with logistics and things having to do with the company with this name and this logo. And so you would have at least some chance of having someone remember this. Plus the fact that you're going to lose over 90% of your your audience by the time you get to that that final mm. three second mark. Mm -hmm. So so literally mm. 90 plus percent of that audience will never have seen the logo at all. You know, they just will have seen an amusing TikTok. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, and and again, the the other thing that I think is missed here is what is the purpose of all of this? The purpose of this is to implant memory traces in the minds of future buyers connecting your category with your with your key branding elements and with some point of differentiation, if there is one. And, you know, and, and ideally you would like to implant those memory traces in such a way that they're tied to recall triggers that are associated with, with buying situations. And, you know, so this is a very complex definition of what brand is, is for that is often not talked about, but if you cannot implant a recallable memory trace, that brings them back to who you are, then everything you spent on producing, you know, that marketing material is a complete waste. Can you give us an example of, of what this would look like? A, a positive example. You gave us the one with the video and the trucking company. <laughs> Not great. They waited too long, I think is the argument to put their branding on there. What's right. an example that comes to, that comes to mind for you that like, yeah, this is how you do it. So, so there is, and I can't, I wish I could remember the name because I'd call them out if I, if I could remember it, a really brilliant uh, um, marketing and advertising agency in Denmark. And, you know, and it's run by some very, very smart people that think deeply about these issues. And they do a lot of video. And one of the things that, that is unique about their videos, and when I say unique, there is literally not one company in 1,000, maybe one company in 10,000 doing, doing video marketing that understands what they're doing. What they're doing is they are putting a complete static ad for their services on frame zero. And then they have that immediately transition into the video. You know, and in the video, they, you know, they they constantly have their, you know, their logo, some information about them in the 
you know, down in the lower thirds. And, you know, and so even if the video is talking about, again, something that is really about the category, you know, who they are and what they do is, is fully present. But more fundamentally, this idea of having treating frame zero in the video as a static ad is critical. And the reason why is we're now at 70 or 80% of people in feed-based social media have turned off autoplay. And, and so as you scroll through your feed with autoplay off, all you see as you scroll through is the frame zero. And so literally 90% of video that I see on places like LinkedIn, I see a large white panel or a large black panel because that's their frame zero. And then they'll, they will then very artistically fade in their logo or swirl in their logo or, or what or swirl in their title or whatever they're going to do. And, and so what happens is, is that, you know, you have now lost, you know, 99% of your potential audience because you have an opportunity to show them something. And instead you showed them, you know, a blank white panel. And, uh, you know, and what's even worse is there are, you know, there are video people that, you know, want to get very artistic. And so they'll have their logo sort of partially swirled in mm. um, on frame zero. And so when you're scrolling through and you see frame zero, it just looks like a bunch of random noise on the, on the, you know, inside the panel, you know, which is even more distracting than it just being a blank white or blank white panel. And so again, this goes back to don't be so enamored with your art. This isn't art. This is commerce. You know, put yourself in the mind of someone on the other side of the screen. What did they see when they're, you know, when your thing is scrolling past them in the feed? And it better be something useful because if it's not, you've just wasted a lot of effort and a lot of money. You know, and, and I'll, I'll give you a specific example of, you know, video done badly on this. Another one, a multi, multi billion dollar therapeutics company in Germany called Kyogen. They had a, a uh, 60 second video that they, they got heavy play. You know, this was clearly, you know, a, a significant six figure marketing campaign, maybe even seven figure. They easily dropped well into the six figures on the video production. It's very, very sophisticated video production with actors and lots of motion graphics. 60 seconds. Frame zero is a blank white panel. They, they then go into sort of talking about in this case, it's a tuberculosis conference, but they're sort of talking about tuberculosis, but with no connection, there's no logo on the screen. There's no nothing on the screen, you know, with no connection to what this is about. At about halfway through, they spend the second 30 seconds with these two hands, two pairs of hands assembling a jigsaw puzzle for 30 freaking seconds. That is the logo of the conference. Mm. And then only at around the 58 second point, do they then put up their logo? Mm. And, uh, you know, and the deal is this is the, I mean, you know, this is a several hundred thousand dollar waste of production at, at every conceivable level. You know, and again, it's an example of being so enamored with the art that you, that you completely lose track of the fact that there's a human on the other end that's, that's going to receive this and how are they going to receive this? And, you know, and how does this really, really look in the wild? Because again, you know, your thing looks great when it's the only thing on the screen, but, but it's never going to be the only thing on the screen. It's going to be something that's going to be surrounded by other stuff. It's going to be, you know, if it's, 
If it's linear TV, it's going to be surrounded by lots of other ads and programming. If it's radio, it's going to be surrounded by lots of other things. If it's in social media, you know, it's it's a thing in a feed that is, you know, that is going to be on screen for, you know, a second, a fraction of a second. You know, and if you don't put something up there that's visually arresting, that's going to capture someone's interest and make them stop, you know, it will literally be gone in, you know, a few hundred milliseconds as as the viewer scrolls past it. And so it sounds like the prescription for all this, at least in, in your view, is relatively straightforward. I mean, it doesn't sound that complicated. It's using those that first second, let's say, in a video instead of a white screen. Use well, that frame zero. Yeah, for, just frame, frame zero. zero. Use that frame zero is what you see when you you know when it's yeah. scrolling and you have autoplay off. Yeah. So use that space as kind of advertising space. You might call it almost like a billboard or something. And right. And then have an overlay where your logo is visible throughout the video right. or something like that. And you could apply something similar in a different way to a, a print piece or something like that. Right. But I mean, it, so it sounds like the, the way to deal with this issue is really not that complicated. No, it isn't. But, but I mean, literally there's not a company in a thousand, I've got a, I've got a whole collection. I've been collecting these video pieces from LinkedIn over the last few months. You know, I've got a whole collection of these and it is literally, you know, more than 99%, you know, fail at one or two basic points. You know, and again, Mm -hmm. you know, the core thing is if all you see is frame zero until you click play, frame zero is a static, is essentially the equivalent of a static fixed ad that has to compel someone to click the play button. And, and, you know, and a blank white screen is not a compelling mess, you know, not, not a compelling reason to stop and click the play button. Usually not. Unless you're, (laughs) unless you're like surprises. I mean, it could be anything. Click it and who knows what you're going to (laughs) say. Anyway, well, Dale, really interesting stuff. Lots more to talk about for our listeners who want to, you know, reach out, continue this conversation. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Oh, probably the best way is LinkedIn. So I'm just Dale W. Harrison on LinkedIn. I post multiple times a week. I'm there regularly. So, you know, feel free to reach out. And, you know, and, and if you heard me on this podcast, then, uh, you know, reference the podcast, you know, and happy to, to um, have a conversation. Because, again, you know, I, I think these things are very easy. You know, it's very easy to, to make your content marketing completely ineffective. And it is, it is very easy to make it highly effective. And it doesn't cost any more to make it highly effective than to make it a complete waste. You know, and so there's really, it's not like, it's not like we're talking about some complicated, expensive thing. We're talking about extremely simple things that, you know, that start with how does the person on the other side of the screen view the thing that you're putting into the world? And, you know, and, and worry about what they think. Don't worry about what you think. Indeed. Well, we'll put the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. And uh, Dale, thank you so much for your time and for uh, engaging in a really good discussion. Well, thanks. This has been fun. I appreciate it. That'll do it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. And as long as you're there, you might as well give us five stars and leave a comment about how much you love the show. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa. We are a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of really kick-ass content in just 60 minutes. Just 60 minutes. How is that possible? Well, check out our website to find out. That's 
Conversa with two N's, C-O-N-N-Versa.com. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.